We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets Twitter? Welcome to another Brooklyn Buzz rewatch. I'm your host, Nick Faye, with his, me as always, my guy, Jack Manuel. Jack, how we doing? Yeah, I am swell, Nick. I feel like I, I say swell a lot on JVT, but I don't say enough on the buzz, so I'm doing swell, mate. Doing swell. I mean, why not? It's a Friday night. You get to watch a Nets game. It's a rewatch, but it's a win, so it's a lot of positivity. And as always, you can find our previous shows on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. This stream is also brought to you by BetOnline.ag and BlueChew. But, Jack, excited to talk about this one. What do you remember from this game? Uh, not a heat, to be honest, Nick. Um, I do remember that this was essentially probably one of Spencer Dimley's best games. I, I remember when we were sort of doing the recap for him on the season review that looking into it, you know, Spencer really sort of stepped up for us there. Uh, this team, you know, had a, quite a few injuries. You know, we see the starting lineups with, with Rodion Skurrut starting. Um, it's it's a different lineup, that's for sure. And, you know, the, the fact that the Nets were able to get over a team that had Jimmy Butler, a Bam at a bio, you know, just a more talented team and, and a more well-performed forming team at the time that uh, shows the capabilities that they had yeah 100 percent. definitely i think the key word you said there was capability this nets team obviously still missing a lot of stars but they had some nice wins this season i believe this game took place after the okc loss 
So after that heartbreaking loss in overtime to OKC where the Nets had a chance to win, I believe Dinwiddie missed you know, some big free throws in that game. So he bounces back tonight in a nice comeback fashion in this game. And I believe the Nets were maybe not on a losing streak, but some type of like losing stint where they had lost seven of the last eight or something like this. So much needed win. And, you know, the Nets are still kind of fighting. They're still, I think, in the playoff picture at this time, but it's still like seventh and eighth spot. You're trying to like keep your position strong. Definitely. And, you know, I think that it's going to be interesting to see if and when the NBA season does come back. Obviously, the Nets have that seventh spot. Uh, they're only, I think, a game or a game and a half above the Orlando Magic. And, you know, wins like this uh, are really damn important. And, you know, it's interesting to see already Rodion's Kuritz is guarding Jimmy Butler. Um, so that's an interesting matchup for sure. Yeah, and I even we saw Rodion try to get the steal early on too. Rodion hits a big three. I believe he hits a couple threes early in this game, and you're like, oh, wow, this is kind of what we've been missing. And it's one of the few times we saw this season Torian Prince and Rodion's in the starting lineup together. Yeah, it's an interesting combination, that's for sure. I'm not necessarily... Uh, obviously, if Torian Prince is hitting them, um, then I'm more than happy with it. And if Rodion on the courts is hitting them, like he has, like he like he did just then, then I'm also happy with it. But um, it's it's the the opportunities we've seen Rodion's prove it before when he's hitting the three ball. When Torian Prince is hitting the three ball, and you have Joe Harris, that's three good three point shooters. And you know you just you want to let the guys let them fly. And at the end of the day, Rodion's is in the, hit both of them. Kyrie's loving it. Theo's loving it on on the bench. It's 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 just great basketball. And then we got Joe Harris hitting another three right there. Uh, 9-0 lead for the Nets. And just talking about Rodion's and kind of we've discussed him a lot over the last couple streams because he's just a hot topic on Nets Twitter because of what he did last season. It's like if he could provide you, you know, above average three-point shooting in the corner, I think you don't mind as much playing him in some of the miscues you'll see defensively or some of the issues maybe offensively if he's knocking down his three-point shot. As long as he's providing something consistent – you can be okay with the rest of the wild card factor he provides. Yeah, and I think for for Rody, the the main point is just decisiveness in his play. Yep. You know, I, I think we saw a lot. We'll go, probably get to season review soon enough. Um, if we do get the chance, I'm hopefully we actually don't finish all the season reviews with the NBA coming up soon. But if we do, I, I think the the one key takeaway is that Rody has a lot of talent and he does a lot of things well. But when it's essentially just decisiveness and the the IQ and, and mental part of the game a lot of the time, like there, he tries to make a driver on Bam at a bio, which is a, a good decision, and he kicks it out. He makes the right decision quickly. He doesn't hold on to the ball. He doesn't get ball hockey, and it leads to a three for Spencer Dinwiddie. So uh, for me, a decisive roadie is just a quality player. And you, you nailed it, Jack. Like, he has the talent. He has a great NBA body. Like, he has the length. He has the wingspan, and he's, like, decisively quick. So I feel like there is definitely a role for him in the NBA. It's just kind of, like you mentioned, the basketball IQ, the decision-making, and kind of understanding where he fits in the NBA. And again, Rody is only, what, like 22, 23 years old. So plenty of an opportunity for him to get better as a player. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. We've, we've spoken about him probably a lot on these rewatches, but I think we get a, a decent look at him in this game. So I think judging him by you know a performance like this one is probably where you go, okay, you know, he's obviously not going to be starting next season uh, in any form or fashion unless there is injuries like we sort of see here. But, you know, I think that you have to look at, we've talked about like on, on the outlet, floor and ceiling. You know, Rodion's Kuritz is still, I think it'd be an incomplete and unproven. I can't necessarily say what floor and ceiling is for him because there's just not enough for me to judge it on yet. Yeah, and even the sample size prior to the NBA really isn't there because of all the issues with his previous team. So it's like, I think there's plenty of room for development with uh, Rodion's. And it's almost like 
he's a guy that you could see fit with the team next year or maybe with a championship team because of some of the skills he had. But you feel like if he was on the other timeline in terms of like the Nets don't land a superstar, they keep D'Angelo Russell, kind of how we mentioned with Jared Allen, that Rodion's, it would have been a little bit smoother transition and a little bit smoother for him to develop the skills. This kind of put a little bit more pressure on him in the situation and his minutes weren't necessarily there. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, just having us two on, on this rewatch, being able to sort of dissect and dive deep into some of the players and stuff. But I guess, Nick, we're, we're, do we get to the, the Nets news of the week? To, do we want to jump in there right now? Do we want to keep focus on the game a little bit more? What do you want to jump into? Yeah, let's jump Prince? in. We, nice. don't e- we don't even know how long the Bradley Beal stuff will take. And obviously, <laughs> <laughs> we got the report yesterday from uh, Stefan Bundy uh, that – the Nets were discussing possibilities or ways to acquire Bradley Beal. And obviously this is something you and I have talked about a lot on the buzz from probably the previous offseason until now about, you know, could the Nets acquire him? Is it something to happen? But I think seeing the report maybe kind of reassures the idea that the Nets are looking to pursue him. But Jack, tell us a little bit more about the Washington side because I know you got a good idea of that because of your co-host Nick Busink. Yeah, Nick Busink, uh, co-host of JBT, obviously a fervent Nets, uh, fervent uh, Wizards fan. Um, and it, it's funny because he, Beal isn't even his guy. John Wall is his guy, but obviously Beal has become. In in that sense, I've I've put out some stuff that's probably been a, a little less optimistic and a little less enthusiastic uh, about the Bradley Beal acquisition of late because, uh, one, in terms of stylistically, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you make make it work in terms of talent wise. But um, I'm gonna we can dissect it, I guess, from all angles in terms of the positives and the negatives. But just my general sense of it at this stage is. One, he signed a contract, and he can't be traded until the offseason. So the fact that this is coming up now, obviously, it's like, uh, as a comparison point, it's like the Warriors saying and the, the Miami Heat saying, oh, we have interest in Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, no shit. You want to <laughs> add a really good player to the NBA basketball team. Wow, massive news, Nets Twitter. Um, not to disparage Nets Twitter because uh, they are wonderful people, and uh, I am also a part of that. So I guess I don't want to pot call the kettle black. Um, and I, I also think that he wants to be in Washington. At least uh, I've had people sort of, you know, back and forth with me sort of say that, you know, does he really want to be in Washington? Is, is he truly loyal? Does he have to say it? Is it a Kemba Walker style sort of thing where he's just actually going to leave? Um, but for me, I truly believe that he wants to be in Washington. I truly believe that him and John Wall have a decent relationship. And I think that they want to prove something, whatever it might be uh, next season, you know, whenever that does happen uh, in 2020, 2021. And I also don't think he wants to be the third fiddle next to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant because despite the fact that, you know, Bradley Beal might be more talented and and, and certainly more healthy than Kyrie Irving, he's going to be the third guy on this team. And yeah. I, I, I think that as, as much as he wants, to, um, he wants to win, and I put out a video the other day uh, from him sort of speaking after, I think it was a Bulls game where the... They had a, a pretty poor loss. They shouldn't have. They shouldn't have suffered. And he's like, "I'm sick of losing. I'm sick of losing. I just don't want to keep losing." I, I don't. I think that was probably a more in the moment thing. And I, I think like similar to say like a Jimmy Butler. I think he wants to be a guy, an important piece. He wants to get his money. He's already got that a little bit. And I don't think that you know, in terms of if I was in Bradley Beal's shoes to sort of just speak from a, a different perspective. I wouldn't want to go play next to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving unless I knew that they wanted me. You know, if they were shooting me texts, they were trying to get my number from, from other guys in the NBA PA or whatever, then yeah, maybe. I, I would want to be wooed in a sense. Um, maybe I'm a, I'm a little bit selfish in that matter. But if Bradley Bill wants to win, yeah, he'll probably, he, he, he will definitely consider the Brooklyn Nets. But I think right now his heart is set on it. And I think the Washington Wizards organization have said that they are very set 
on on keeping Bradley Beal. And unless there is a package that you can come up with me, uh, then I don't see it happening. Yeah, I think the scary thing from the Nets' perspective is like the, also the Washington franchise not really wanting to trade him, knowing they have this wall contract on the books, and they're just hoping that it could work out with him and Bradley Beal and that could lead to success because if not, they're not a super relevant franchise without having the possibility of playoffs. They have two stars in Beal and John Wallby returns to you know 80% of himself, which is a big question mark. So And then that puts the Nets in a position where it gets scary if you're getting trade talks because then you have to, like you mentioned, Jack, woe them, and then you're probably going to overpay. And that's usually when you put yourself in a bad position. Could overpaying for Bradley Beal still work out? Yeah, it probably could because if you put you know three players of this talent level on one team, there's a good chance they're going to win a championship. It's just there's a lot of different different factors, but I agree with you. I think like Washington probably not wanting to trade him just makes it that much harder for the Nets. And it's like should they just consider maybe looking at you know two upgrades on the roster and maybe getting like two other top fifty guys instead of maybe trying to pursue this top twenty top fifteen guy. Um, Nick, I'm going to put out a little bit of a tweet uh, promoting the, the the Periscope as well as just a question. We love percentages on the buzz. What percentage do you give in the likelihood that we see Bradley Beal join the Nets in some form of a trade? What percent? Was it just a question or a poll? Just a question, my friend. Mm, that's a tough one. I feel like you have to, you can't be super high in this unless the guy has demanded a trade. We're not talking about an Anthony Davis situation where he said he wants to go to the Nets or something, or, you know, in his case, the Lakers. So I guess you have to put it like at 20%, maybe. Yep. Okay. So one in five, um, the odds aren't necessarily amazing, but I think that if we're talking about the the superstar, that is probably the next on the chopping block, you know, you put Bradley Beal, you put Anthony Towns, again, both of those guys who have had the potential to be disgruntled are probably more gruntled <laughs> for, for lack of a better term, because the organization has shored up in, in recent memory, you know, the, the Minnesota Timberwolves, you know, acquiring cat's uh, best friend, D'Angelo Russell, nice little pick and roll combo there. Yep. And the Washington wizards being able to say that, that John Wall's coming back. And, you know, I think and that Bert that Hines adds, has popped off too. And uh, yeah, my, my, my guy Darvis, you know, probably one of the favorites in terms of OTG team building exercises <laughs> uh, on podcasts and in, in free agency and in, you know, mock drafts and, and, and the like. So uh, I think that the Wizards can be something next year. Uh, I'm, obviously, I have no idea what the hell John Wall is going to be. He says he's going to, I remember chatting on JVT. He said that he's going to be better when he comes back. You know, I, I pretty much poo pooed that thought <laughs> uh, straight away. Um, but. The, the percentage that I would give it, Nick, I, I'd give it less than 20. I, I'll give it, uh, let's give it a 12% chance. I don't want to be super duper low with the 10% or in the single digits. You know, uh, I'm a proponent for where there's smoke, there's fire. But I think there, is, uh, there isn't that much smoke for this one. Yeah, and I think the more likely scenario would probably be something at the deadline where maybe John Wall does come back and, you know, knock on wood, I don't hope this happens, where, you know, he's he's not playing well, he doesn't look healthy, he has a hard time staying on the floor, and the rest of the pieces aren't performing and the Wizards aren't even, you know, close to the postseason. Maybe you could see Bradley Beal get upset and ask for a trade or maybe Washington realize, like, hey, this isn't going to work. Might as well just rebuild the entire time of John Wall's contract. That's, like, a more likely scenario where you see Washington actually trading Beal unless the Nets so throw some, like, hefty offer at them this offseason, whenever it is. Yeah, definitely. Um, why don't you, I'll have a bit of a chat while you get up that trade proposal and poll that you put out. Uh, it was yours and essentially Billy's that really popped off and that sort of got a lot of traction. And, you know, for, for a precursor, obviously 
to make a trade, you know, this the Nets can't acquire Bradley Beal. They need to give up something. Karras and or Spencer. Jared Allen, Toyin Prince, you know, Nicholas Claxton, Nets to his favorite, you know, Chris Chioza, whoever. There, there has to be a package, a consummate package in return to woo the Washington Wizards. And, I, and I've said, I've put it out there, that I don't think that there is a package that the Nets can give that is going to woo uh, the Nets, uh, the, the Wizards to an extent where it's just like, all right, we got to do this. You know, Spencer Dimwitty, I mean, he, he's a bona fide all-star. Karis LeVert's going to be a top 20 player next year. Give it to me. Give me all those picks. Let's do it right now. Uh, Nick, what did you get the traction on and what was the, the consensus uh, from the poll that you chucked out? So I put out a trade proposal. You know, this isn't one I'm saying I would agree to or say no to. Uh, Brooklyn receives Bradley Beal. Washington receives Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis Avert, Jared Allen, and two first-round picks. And the question was, would you pull the trigger? I didn't ask which team, which in hindsight is probably a bad idea, but most of my uh, followers are Nets-based. So the results were 47% yes, 53% no. So were you surprised at those results? Did you, did you expect it to, to go one way or another? Where did you, I guess, essentially lie if you could vote in your own poll? Uh, I thought it was probably going to be around this. It was pretty 50-50 the entire time because I always felt like there was going to be guys that valued having that third star and how they valued Bradley Beal. But then there would also be guys kind of worried about giving up the depth or feeling that maybe that was an overpay for Beal. It's tough. I mean, if the Nets really feel like Beal is going to make them a championship contender, which there's a high probability it would, I think you feel okay pulling the trigger on this deal because it's going to make you a contender. Does it, you know, is there a chance it could hurt you in the long term? For sure. But, you know, it's a risk you have to take to win a championship, especially for a franchise that's never won an NBA championship. In in that sense, you know, obviously you weigh up the risk and the reward. Uh, at the end of the day, I think if you aren't all in on this, then I, I don't know what you're doing. You know, yeah. we're, we're in the business. We've said this quite a bit on, on the buzz. We're big proponents for, for championship or bust. You know, obviously it would hurt to have a another sort of Billy King scenario or whatever, another sort of fallout from the, the, the sort of Billy King days where the, the franchise was really in the doldrums. I don't necessarily think that would happen. I think Sean Marks is a little bit more savvy and would, would keep some assets in reserve. Uh, to allow the Nets to, to, to rebuild if it were to, to be an albeit disaster. Kyrie doesn't recover. KD doesn't, you know, gets the full version of himself. If the Nets were to get Bradley Beal, you know, you see what the Wizards are doing right now. You know, they're an average team, but they're hanging around the playoffs. Uh, the Nets are sort of doing that right now. So it's not like uh, that the Nets are going to be dropped that far from what they are if they were to sort of do this. Yes, it would it would hurt immensely losing Probably, you know, Karis Levert is the last... Karis Levert is the... Probably the... Uh, I'm, I might be a bit rash in saying this, but I haven't done any research, but Nick, you might be able to confirm. Longest tenured Brooklyn Net, am I right? In saying I believe that? so, yeah. He was Sean Marks' first acquisition, first pick. So, and, and that would sort of signal a, a massive reshift in terms of where this franchise is going, what the priorities are. And obviously, as fans, it's hard to lose guys that you sort of become attached to, especially for you, Nick. You know, I'm, I'm a big, obviously, Carol Savert, Spencer Dimity fan, Jared Allen fan. Everyone that's on this team, I'm a fan of, you know. Uh, I'm all in on these guys. I think that they can do it. I think that, you know, some moves around the wings would certainly help as well. But I think that this team, the core at what it is, can certainly win a championship. And, and there's a part of me that really wants to see that. But if you get Bradley Beal, you automatically become the most talented team, the most talented starting five in the NBA. Big threes work. 
We know big threes work because Miami won championships and Golden State won championships. The Boston Celtics of yesteryear won championships. The Chicago Bulls, if you want to count Dennis Rodman and or Horace Grant or, or whatever as guys in, in a big, quote-unquote, big three, Tony Kukoc. Uh, again, won championships. Um, so for me, I think it, it the risk is worth it. But um, I don't know. Is the risk worth it for you? Yeah, I feel like if you think it's really a championship team, and like you kind of said, Jack, if you're going all in at this point, which you should be given that you have KD and Kyrie, I think you just go for it. Yeah, could one injury completely ruin your season? For sure. But the same could be said if you kept the team exactly the same. Like I love for people to say like, well, you know, you have Spencer, if Kyrie goes down, well, probably Spencer's not going to be good enough to be your starting point guard to lead you to a championship, you know, on that team, if you're expecting a Kyrie to be that guy. So it's just like, I think if you're going to go all in, you're going to go all in. I don't know if you want to like beat around the bush. It's like, if you have a, a chance to be the best team in the East, I think you pull the trigger on it. And I guess, what is the limit for you? And um, I guess we can quote uh, Lindsay Lohan from Mean Girls, a limit does not exist. Um, great gift, by the way. Great movie. Love Mean Girls. Um, but what, the, what is... It's a very good movie, and, and we can chat about Mean Girls on, on Brooklyn Buzz We Watchers if the fans want us to. But for now, in terms of the limit of a, of a package, what is too many picks? What is too many core young guys? Uh, where do you go, Nick, if you're Sean Marks? Yeah, I feel like the offer I put out there might be close to my max offer. You could probably okay. get me to you know include maybe another second-round pick, possibly like another first-round pick, and I would assume like – decent protections on most of them um but i feel like if you get to a point where you're including karis lavert spencer Dewey, jared allen and like nick claxton and three first round picks that just feels like a little too excessive like bradley beal is an amazing player but then it gets to a point like i mentioned earlier in the show does it just make sense to trade for two top 50 guys instead of trying to trade for that top 15 top 20 guy i guess the i, I might chuck a poll out in a little bit i, I kind of want to keep this idea in the head um, is you know obviously the proponent for, for depth over over stardom you know obviously there's a there, there's great cases for either one and you know obviously you've come up with a, a pretty enticing trade package for if you are the Wizards and if you are a Nets fan it seems to to benefit both in that regard. Um, the report put out a piece and said something similar they were like Carousel Spencer didn't win 2021 first 2023 first and a second round pick um from the Atlanta Hawks for Bradley Beal um I guess that's essentially what you sort of said the other one was everything from that trade above and you also include two of Jared Allen Musa and Claxton um who who do you think out of it if there is to be a Bradley Beal trade who do you think is most likely to stay out of say Allen Levert uh, Dinwiddie, I think that those three, let's check in those three because um, that's probably an easy answer, but it's worth pondering. Most likely to stay or most likely to leave? Sorry, Jack, it cut off. Most likely to, most likely to stay, Nick. I think Spencer would probably be the most likely to stay. I think okay. you look at it from the situation of, hey, like Karis Avert's the young guy where you could convince another team that you know he has all-star potential. Jared Allen, obviously, he's far from tapping his full potential. And you think about most times teams are making these trades, they want guys that can grow. And we've kind of talked about this with Spencer, not to say that he can't get any better, but I don't think he's going to make a, a giant jump in any of the coming seasons. You know, he might expand his skill set, become a little bit more versatile, but I don't think he's going to be like a perennial all-star. You know, I don't think that's something that'll happen for him. So I think you might be able to, 
convince Washington, you know, you have John Wall, you know, you'll get Karis Vert, you'll get Jared Allen, and then, you know, whoever else is a salary filler. Or, you know, if if it cost me an extra first-round pick to keep Spencer, I definitely would do it. Oh, definitely. Um, it's it's an interesting one. I, if I'm Sean Marks and if I'm given, like, you know, if, if Tommy Shepard is, you know, in, in a good mood, it's like, look, we only want one of them and we'll let you pick. And it's like Sean Marks having to pick his favorite child or, or whatever. You know, I, I know who you would probably pick to stay, you know, Nick, in in that sort of sense. Is it Karis Levert who you think works better uh, over Karis, over Karis Levert? Yeah, Spencer over Karras uh, on this team for a, a championship contention next season alongside Beal, Katie and Kyrie. Yeah, I think you can make an argument both ways. I think you could argue that, you know, what we know of Spencer now probably fits better than what we know of Karras. Is there a possibility that Karras kind of grows into the player that we think he can be and be a better fit? Yeah, I think it's a possibility. So I don't think it's like that doesn't necessarily probably have as much impact with like how the Nets view it. I think it's probably more so of like how the other teams view the package they'd be getting just like, Hey, Karis is a guy that can grow Spencer. We kind of know what he is, but again, you never really know. I think another interesting thing for the Nets that could make this trade more difficult or could make it easier would maybe be like, if they don't want Jared Allen or something and they're able to turn Jared Allen into another, you know, valuable first round pick, maybe even something more valuable than one of their future picks. In would you give up if, say, the, the, the Wizards are like, oh, look, we don't want Jared Allen. We want that kid Nick Claxton. Um, would you be comfortable doing that? I think you have to be. If you're willing to give up the other guys, you got to be willing to give up Nick Claxton. As, you know, we have high hopes for him, but like, yeah. you're talking about a championship run here. I mean, the other argument for not trading Claxton would be like the Nets know him the best, so they would know if they're not getting value for him, if they feel like he really can be you know, another Chris Bosh or one of these you know, great power forwards, then don't trade him. But... If you're not sure of it, then I think you have to pull the trigger. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, we've seen plenty of people sort of put out their thoughts about, you know, what are you willing to give up? What is the ultimate package um, at the end of the day? It's it's near everything. You nearly, you nearly have to go all in because if it's for a, a, a guy the likes of Bradley Beal, then it's going to cost that. You go, you like I've said, and I've put it out there. You need to woo and a very high scoring first quarter um, to, to end this one here as we head into the second. Um, you need to woo Tommy Shepard and the Brooklyn Nets to be able to go. All right, um, let me pick up the phone. Um, let's let's have a chat about this one. But yeah, there isn't anyone. Obviously, there is a, a number of picks that would certainly. And I think that the. That cautionary tale of the the Billy King era has put every single like franchise on notice. The only trade that comes to mind is the Clippers and OKC trade, and I'm wondering uh, if that really comes back to bite uh, the, the Clippers in, in the bum. If, if for some reason you know Kawhi and Paul George don't fit together and all those picks turn to something kind of juicy, or if the OKC just end up using them in packages for, for trades and such. Uh, I, I think teams are very, very reticent to include first-rounders, especially first-rounders of value uh, in in any sort of trade proposal. Obviously, uh, they, they include them, but I, I think a, a quantity, a large quantity of them. So uh, I guess in that sense, Nick, is there a, a, a maximum number of picks that you'd be comfortable giving up, or what's the number where it's just like, oh, man, we can't give up four I think the more important thing is the protections where that's where the Nets got screwed last time. If they put protections on the picks, they're not as in bad a situation because you're not giving up top 10 picks, top five picks, top three picks. If you're giving up four, 
you know, first round picks that are all in the 20 to 30 range, your team is probably already pretty good and, you know, they're in playoff contention. Yeah, it still hurts, but giving up a top five pick or a top three pick that turns into, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum hurts a lot more. You know what I mean? Then if you're giving up a pick that turns into Landry Schmidt or something like that, you know what I mean? Like just the value in the thing is what, you know, plays a factor in that. So I'd be okay giving up four first round picks if it meant I got to keep more young players that I wanted to keep, or even if it meant maybe I don't have to give up Karis LeVert. You know what I mean? If it's yeah. four first round yep. picks, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, Torian Prince or something like that. Yeah, that's cool with me. Especially because yeah, Beal's 26. Yeah, and Beal, I think we lose it. Uh, we, we lose, and Jana Moss has been doing some nice things. Um, Loki, decent game for him. And, and I'm sure that's what it, Yeah, very, probably one of his better for the season. You know, when we get to his season review, we'll probably be highlighting this game uh, yet again. Uh, Matt, uh, Matt Nakey, we'll get to your question uh, really, really soon. But just to touch on what you said, Nick, teams, it's about the priorities that they have. Uh, you know, obviously the, the Lakers and, and, and the Pelicans trade, they want just a million picks. Give me all the picks. I don't give a shit about Kyle Kuzma because <laughs> we want to make the we want to make the picks uh, in the draft that we want. We don't value uh, a guy of that sort of, you know, caliber. And in terms of the age thing, Bradley Beal is in the same age profile as Carol Smith and Spencer yeah. Everyone's just like, I think we because Carol Smith has just such a cute baby face, it's just like, oh, he's like 23. No, like Carol Smith is aging. Like he's he should be in his prime right now, if not hitting it and, you know, uh, having like a, a sustained period of, you know, the peak of his powers. Um, so for me, that's that's a, that's a really good point that I think people might forget. I'm sure that there are some people that do and a lot of people that don't, but I think it is certainly worth touching on. Uh, in terms of sort of the center rotation, Nick, Matt Nake has asked, why are the Nets operating as if DeAndre Jordan can be the lone center on a championship team? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think we've kind of touched on a previous show is like Golden State has gotten away with not having great centers. You need someone who can defend centers or if you're able to find somebody who kind of fill in that role. And also I think like, you don't necessarily need a great center to win a championship. Also, like we mentioned with the Cavs, with Tristan Thompson, like if they're able to just land another uh, competent backup center, not somebody who's amazing, but at least average or has a different skill set than DeAndre, I think you feel okay with that. Or even if you're able to land like a Serge Ibaka or a Paul Millsap, somebody who could be your closing five. You know what I mean? I feel like I've just come to the point where I accept that DeAndre is going to be on the team given the relationship with Kyrie and KD. So it just seems more likely to move Jared Allen. And obviously Allen's carrying more value than DeAndre anyways. And I think he's passable. Like we've seen him play passable. And we've also seen like KD and Kyrie give him a hard time on the sideline when he hasn't played well. Like if he's missing the assignment, you've seen KD like on the bench being like, yo, what's good with that? So I feel like they'll make they'll make him play with accountability. Yeah, and, and I guess in that sort of sense, you know, Matt has responded, but we don't even actually have a backup power forward. I think that the assumption is that the Nets are making a move for someone in the front court. If if there isn't, you know, if say the Nets stay as they are, you know, you got Jared Allen, Nick Claxton, DeAndre Jordan. That's a that's a strong center rotation. Obviously, uh, there are questions around all three of those guys. Plenty of them that we could discuss for days and days. But if that's if there's not going to be um, a, a trade for a, a four. Like, you know, I think that if the Nets don't go down the route of uh, getting Bradley Beal or whatever superstar it might be, give me everything, give me all in on, on Serge Ibaka or Paul Millsap. You know, those are, you know, guys that we've made um, our, our opinions known about quite a bit. But I think those are guys that can add true value to winning in playoff basketball. And I think that that's where it really does matter. I agree. You know, that the DeAndre Jordan in a playoff setting does really... 
Um, it does really worry me. Jared Allen in the same sense. You know, I think there are certain matchups that do favor either of those guys, and maybe that's you go center by committee. Um, so I guess it is. It is certainly a, 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 a reason to remain hesitant, Matt. But I, I think that there are. I don't think that the team is set on their center rotation yet. Um, I think that, you know, we've said before that the center is the least important position in the game. But if you're coming up against the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis playing at the five in closing time, and you've got DeAndre Jordan, we've seen that in a sense sometimes work, um, but at, at other times it didn't. But Nick, with any other thoughts you had, because we do have another question in the Periscope chat. Yeah, and I think I just kind of, you know, reiterating what you were saying jack is the fact that the nets are going to upgrade the big position somehow you know if it, they trade away jared allen they'll probably add up a backup center if they don't they'll probably add you know a backup four a starting four be it you know aaron gordon and paul Millsap or whatever it is like sean marks can get creative because if they don't use the picks on veal or even if they do use the picks on veal there still could be another move on the table that they make that can you know add to their depth or just give them somebody who kind of fits that closing role and it, like who knows who it is because like it, there's just so many different options out there in terms of what they can add because we don't know what the next move is going to be. We know there's going to be change. We just don't know the change. Yeah, we, we, we really don't. Uh, and, you know, we're playing, you know, armchair analysts uh, <laughs> quite a bit. And, and I mean, you know, that's what podcasters do. Um, but uh, uh, at B uh, have read one, sorry if I'm saying that wrong, mate, um, has asked in, in a scenario, Beal or Gordon and Drew? Uh, oh, my God. You know, it's so funny. I was going to ask you this question on the show. Like, this person is uh, reading my mind. He is uh, an incredibly smart and thoughtful Nets fan. I'm going to put this out as a poll as well. Uh, Nick, you give your thoughts while I'm chucking up the poll on Twitter. You know, I honestly think I might do it because I think that you could get better value in the trade in terms of giving up less. And, like, Drew isn't that far off of what – obviously, he's not Bradley Beal-level player, but in terms of his fit, you can make an argument that – he might fit better next to Katie and Kyrie than Bradley Beal will because of the defensive ability he brings. And also you're bringing Aaron Gordon, who's kind of a similar thing. You know, maybe I'm not sure if I'm in love with both of them being in the starting lineup because it's like not necessarily great for your spacing because Drew can be pretty inconsistent with his three-point ball and Aaron Gordon, I'm not sure if he's a good three-point shooter. But you could probably sell it to me because like, like we've mentioned before, like it feels like Washington's going to be really crazy with the offer they accept. And talking about Kyrie and Katie giving DeAndre a hard time, we're seeing it right now on the screen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, it's certainly something to keep an eye on. But you know, I think that you know you have what is the the difference between Bradley Beal and Drew Holiday? What ten spots in a sort of ultimate sort of ranking? You know, Bradley Beal is in a range of twelve to sixteen. Drew is in a range of uh, twenty to thirty. You know, they're not that far off each other. Obviously, I think Drew's offensive capabilities uh, are dwindled by that of, of Bradley Beals. He is a, one of the best offensive players in the league. You know, I'm not doubting that. Probably one of the most, more talented offensive guards. We saw that, especially in the closing points of the season post-All-Star break. But you add in an Aaron Gordon type as well at the same time. You know, a guy that fits, you know, has been a Nets Twitter darling for, for quite a long time and fits in stylistically and allows, I guess, to sort of what we're chatting about with, uh, about Madden AQ's question, you can sort of small maybe play some, play some small ball five. You can experiment with that. And if you give up Jared Allen, then I, I think that Aaron Gordon, you know, he can be, I'm not saying he can be our dream on green, but he can do a version of that. Um, 
if I was the, the coach of the Nets, I would certainly experiment with that quite consistently. And if not, you know, he's probably going to be playing four, which allows Kevin Durant to play the three. Because I think uh, uh, what we've seen in, for the Lakers is they've got the, their center rotation with McGee uh, and Dwight to allow Davis to play where he wants to play at the four. And then when the closing moments happen, that's where you guys play the guys up. You, you play KD at the four, you might play Aaron Gordon at the five, whatever. So I'm certainly intrigued about it. And I'm intrigued to see... Uh, what the poll results would be but yeah in terms of uh, i guess obviously it'd be pretty hard to you know to get both of those guys in an ideal world because the package is available i don't know if there's three-way trades involved uh it's almost melting my brain just thinking about it i think i could i think of an idea that would work for me would be like uh aaron gordon you know you'd probably give up spencer dinwiddie to orlando which we've kind of mentioned before and then whatever you know salary filler you need to include and then for the pelicans trade you're probably trading you know, Karis LeVert in a ton of picks and then the other salary filler. I think they could probably get the contract numbers to work. It would be a little bit tough. Like you said, it'd probably be better in like a three-team trade. But at the end of the day, like talking about it more, it's like, do you want Bradley Beal and having, you know, historically good offense? Or do you want to have that perfect balance where you have two of the best ISO scores in the entire NBA, two of the best offensive players, and then you also have, I don't think Aaron Gordon's quite an elite defender yet but he definitely has the potential to be and then drew holiday who's definitely one of the best wing defenders or you know guard defenders in the entire nba so you can match up with a team that has an elite guard and has an elite wing or forward so it would like give the nets a crazy balance that it's you haven't really seen in the current nba definitely and as matt and aq did mention we've seen drew lock down damian lillard of all people in a playoff series like Clamp literally him. Yeah, and uh, clamp him, uh, Matt Nakew's word, shackles. Uh, yeah. Love all the adjectives for it. We've seen him live as well. Um, we had that opportunity. You know, I obviously don't get a chance to see many basketball games live. I have to travel tens of thousands of kilometers in over 24 hours to see a Nets game. But I have had the opportunity to see Drew Holiday live in person. And in terms of, I've obviously been to like maybe 10, 20 games in, in my lifetime. But I haven't seen many more versatile and intelligent defenders on an NBA basketball court. He's just so active. And obviously this was a year and a half ago or two years ago. Um, But he he might have lost a step a little bit since then. And he's probably passed his prime a little bit. But I still think he is an elite all-defensive capable player that can play up positions. You know, we've seen him guard freaking LeBron James for possessions. And, you know, obviously uh, talking about, I guess... You know, LeBron James, you can't necessarily do that incredibly capably, but um, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent for Drew Holiday. I might be getting warmer to, to that idea. Obviously, this is ideal world scenarios. I think that there is probably... Um, actually, you know, it, it, I guess it gets me to thinking, Nick, who do you think is more likely in, in to end up on the Nets? Like, And I'm not talking about who you want, but in terms of likelihood, do you think it's Drew or Brad? We'll call him Drew Brad. <laughs> you know him. Yeah, you're, you're gonna yeah, Drew Brad. Yeah, you're going to come to the Nets or what? Like? Yeah, all right. Cool, man. We'll, we'll get that package done for you, my dude. It kind of feels like this. I feel like the Nets would pursue Beal a little bit harder because of the name and like the more of like the upside of that and it's like guaranteeing a championship. But I feel like Drew will be more available and more likely to be traded. But I'm not sure if the Nets would pursue him quite as hard because I, we haven't heard any connections about it. We obviously just heard the Bradley Beal thing. But I'm not sure like if the Nets will go crazy because if I'm not mistaken, Drew only has one year left on his deal, which makes him a little scary. Yeah, uh, obviously there's so many things to sort of consider in, in those sort of scenarios in terms of 
you know, the, the the money involved. You know, the the Nets, if they were to acquire Bradley Beal, would have $88 million locked up to three players in a... Uh, obviously, the, the salary cap has been a, a major talking point of late as well. So there's plenty of things to consider in, in that sort of realm. It's not just as simple as we want this guy, we want that guy, let's get it done. You know, the you know Joe Sy has to be willing to go deep into those pockets. And is he going to do that, you know, in the current scenario? Funnily enough, I think he will because uh, not to get totally uh, political and, you know, sort of economical about it. You know, Joe Sides, I believe I've seen that his wealth has actually increased over this yeah, period. It and it's something that is quite disgusting in, in a lot of ways. You know, guys like him, Jeff Bezos, you know, all these ridiculous, super-duper rich assholes. Um, pardon my French. Um, it, it does make me a little bit mad. But the fact that, you know, the, the everyday people, the laymans, the guys that are joining the, the streams now, the guys that are doing the podcasts, the guys that are working the concession stands, the guys that are worrying about the next paycheck, they've got no money and they're, they're dwindling and they're worrying about the next paycheck. And it does anger me in a sense, but you know, focusing more on Joe Sy as an owner, an NBA owner or an NBA, whatever they, they call them these days, um, it's going to be interesting to sort of see. I think obviously there's the Joe Harris contract to worry about. There's plenty of things to worry about in that sort of sense. But I think if you're not, if you're not in the business of winning, again, I might, you might as well call this the Brooklyn Buzz rewatch. If you're not in the business of winning championships, if you're not in the <laughs> business of winning championships, then don't, you know, don't get involved in the first place. It's what frustrates me about you know, Tillman Fertitta not willing to pay ten million dollars for Trevor Ariza for a team that I thought had championship capabilities and maybe still does. You know, it's. It's dumb. Why buy a basketball team if you're just willing to cheap out on it? If you're Jerry Reinsdorf, what's the point of not giving all the money to, you know, um, to, to Scotty if you're not willing to give the championships a, another try? It's it's something that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And obviously, we can only say what we want to say. You know, we're not necessarily billionaires, and we don't have to worry about the the the, the, the pockets in, in a certain sense of the imagination. But yeah, it's it's something that I think Joe Sy is definitely going to be going deep into those pockets, and I think he most likely willingly willingly will. Well, I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah, I think he's rich enough that it doesn't really worry him if he's spending extra money on the Nets, and I feel like he's talked about wanting to win championships, and like it all signs point to him wanting to do it. Like you don't have a team of Katie and Kyrie unless you want to, you know, win a championship. And I think like just talking Joe Harris a little bit, all the trades I've kind of mentioned and we've discussed. I would just assume the Nets are looking to retain him. Like I would just have a hard scenario seeing them giving up on Joe Harris unless, you know, things just went magical for them in the offseason and they landed just a whole bunch of guys they felt like they didn't need him. But it just seems unlikely given his skill set and how he fits next to the guys currently on the roster and even future guys that could possibly be on the roster. Yeah, um, Nick, we had uh, Matt Nake, you, uh, remind, uh give us a little bit of a, a notification that Bradley Beal's agent, and I, I saw this, but I, when I saw the headline, I'm like, oh, it's a random agent. It's not actually Bradley Beal's agent. And this is via Forbes. Bradley Beal's agent does not expect the star shooting guard to be traded to the Nets or anywhere else. Um, and I quote uh, Mark uh, Bartlestein, and he said to Forbes Sports by phone, there are no Beal sweepstakes, and that's why he re-signed with the Wizards. Brad re-signed with the Wizards because he wanted to stay in Washington, and the Wizards wanted to keep him there. Um, Nick, does this make you less? Uh, does it change that twenty percent to in the teens? No, I mean we okay. saw the same thing with what Blake Griffin signed that monster contract, and they had like a ceremony for him and traded him in the same season. So I feel like 
they, things can change instantly. Like they're going to say all the right PR stuff right now. And maybe Beal really wants to stay in Washington. But like I mentioned, things can change if the first 20 games of the season are terrible. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the, the agent saying certain things, uh, I, obviously there are, you know, the agents, uh, and client agent player relationships that are stronger than others. You know, you see, you know, Rich Kleiman and Kevin Durant, you, you think of those guys together. You think of Rich Paul and, and LeBron James together. You know, I, I didn't even know who Bradley Beal's agent was. Um, so does that say something? I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me sort of trying to be uh, a bit more of a glass half full guy. I certainly think, uh, you know, it doesn't really change things. I think that is a, a fair point because, you know, the agents aren't the one. The agents are worrying about the commission that they get from the contract that, you know, their players get. And Bradley Beal's already been able to get that. He's, he's, he's getting the commission, the 10%, whatever it is on that you know, $62 million deal uh, extension that he has signed. So um, uh, obviously, I we've sort of reiterated, I've been of the thought of of what sort of the, the agent said, that there isn't necessarily a sweepstakes right now. He wants to stay there. Yeah, no shit, but um, <laughs> things can change. Um, the agent's and I, pretty I, much I, just saying what Beal wants him to say. Basically, basically. That's his and, job. You know, it is his job. And, you know, if we get NBA basketball back and, you know, there are reporters and sideline reporters, however many there are at games, and we see the Wizards play some version of basketball, you can bet that in pre-game scrums, if there are those allowed, or post-game scrums, if there are those allowed, that you know Bradley Beal, the first questions that are going to be asked are about that contract. No doubt about that trade, sorry. Yeah, they'll definitely ask him. They'll be like, are you happy here? It'll be the constant thing. I think we get to a point where Bradley Beal will probably get annoyed, especially if he really wants to stay in Washington. Jack, are there any other stars you think that could pop up on the market that maybe people aren't anticipating at this time? Like just that guy yeah. that's just like, mm, oh, wow, they just traded for Paul George like how we saw last year. Yeah, I guess you kind of look at uh, – we've probably discussed literally probably every name you know under the sun uh, in this offseason, be it on a rewatch, be it on a, a news pod, whatever it might be for the Brooklyn Buzz, you know, throwing names out there whether it be trade or free agency, you know, Anthony Davis, um, Carl Anthony Towns, you know, the, I'm trying to just think of us, James Harden and Russell Westbrook have been brought up uh, of late as well. You know, I, I think that there's always a random guy, you know, uh, Kevin Love, if you consider him a star. Um, I, 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 again, I think that there obviously is a certain element of likelihood to some of those guys being like, yeah, you know what? I want to play along these two studs in Brooklyn and you know win a championship with them. There is, I guess, in sort of saying that, a benefit to the season coming back and seeing Kevin Durant and Kyrie come back. If they, you know, absolutely go gangbusters and blitz teams in the playoffs and make a finals, and even if they don't win it, that's just like, ooh, that's what they can do off like you know a couple of months rest and at a half mast. If I'm a superstar, maybe I want to join that. You know, we hear literally every single guy say. That if it's not money, it's winning. Yeah. And I think that there are a few teams that offer you a chance to win a championship in the NBA. Right now, there are three contenders, for, and we've discussed those. And with Matt on a on a playoff sort of um, pod for, for his stream, where we had guys in tears, and it was essentially Lakers, Buckers, Cl Buckers, <laughs> <laughs> Lakers, Bucks, and Clip and. Lakers, Bucks, and Clippers. Jesus, what am I doing? Um, it's too early. Here. It's still early. Uh, yeah, Lakers you get a pass. <laughs> It's uh, Lakers, Bucks, and Clippers. Next season, you can add in 
possibly the Brooklyn Nets into that scenario. You can maybe add the Golden State Warriors into that scenario because we might get the opportunity to see some of these guys suit up. And it could <clears throat> be a, a luring point for the, some of the guys I spoke about or for other sort of dis- disgruntled role guys. You know, I, I personally think that the star route can be sometimes overblown. You look at what the Clippers have right now, which is, you know, two superstars, two all-star caliber players and a bevy of players that know how to play their role and can impact winning in, in a lot of ways. I think that's what the Nets would be more than happy with because we essentially have a version of that right now. We have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. That's your bona fide studs. We have Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis Avert. That's your Montrez Lou Williams types. You know, really, really good all-star level players. And then the role players is where the Clippers have everyone in the NBA be. You know, they've got Marcus Morris, Patrick Beverly, uh, Avika Zubac, who I think gets underrated in terms of the play that he's had for in the regular season. The Nets instead have, uh, you know, guys like Wilson Chandler, uh, Toyin Prince. You know, the role Gary players Temple. is where the Nets... Garrett Temple... Uh, and, and I think, you know, Garrett Temple has had a fine season. Uh, and as we go at the half, the, the Nets are down by 12. So we'll get into that comeback really, really soon. But on the, the point we're sort of discussing, if the Nets were to, you know, beef up their, their role player stocks, then they're going to be in championship contention. They don't need just Bradley Beal to do that. Jack, what would be, let's say, if the Nets could add two or three role players, like the worst possible versions, like the worst guys, so they don't pick like the best possible role players. But if you could add like three role players to the Nets – that would make them contenders with this team next year, who would it be? Or even make them like favorites in the East. So like a, a worse version of it. Okay, so I'm not, I'll, my best, we can maybe chat, chat best version a Or bit maybe later. like I, I worded that wrong. I'm saying like what's No, the, I know what you're saying because the names that come to mind for me, Nick, are uh, uh, Noah Vonley and uh, Marvin Williams and these sort of guys that I still think have value and like Mo Harkless. Yeah. Like those three guys while they have a lot of question marks around them, I think that their prototype is perfect for the modern NBA and perfect for the Brooklyn Nets team and would be a tenfold, you know, um, increase over Wilson Chandler, Rodion's Kuritz, um, and, and, and these guys. Um, I think that the wing depth uh, and, and front court depth is so damn important and has been so damn important for this Brooklyn Nets team since I've followed them and since we've done this damn podcast that those sort of guys, and, you know, for the sake of it, let's chuck in Rondo Hollis-Jefferson because, you know, uh, he's been doing some nice things in Toronto as well. But I think that all three of those guys have a much better three-point shot, even if it is still questionable. So um, those are names that come to mind for me, Nick. Maybe uh, the lesser of the, the Morris brothers as well, Markeith. Yeah, that would be someone. I would price, I would just probably want a little bit of upgrade in a big in terms of Noah Vonley, but I could see the argument for him. I just want some more playoff experience. But I think Mo Harkless would be a guy... That would be even great on this current Nets team. Like they had on this season would help so much with some of the issues they've had because you look at the guards, like they have Karras, they have Spencer, and obviously Kyrie, and then Joe Harris is technically a guard too. You get to the center position, DeAndre, Jared Allen, that's fine, that's passable. And then you have KD, and then there's just so many questions at the other 3-4 depth where that's really where they need to make that jump, especially I think defensively. That's where like the real concern is. They just need someone to alleviate that pressure off KD. And out of those names, Nick, who are you most confident with as a as a defensive sort of stopper? Mo Harkless, Marvin Williams, Markeith Morris, or Noah Vonley? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I think Mo Harkless has done it a lot. Markeith has like yeah. the toughness, but he's kind of washed at this point. So, you know, I think I'd probably go with Mo Harkless here. I think that he had he was starting for the Clippers, wasn't he, before yeah. he got traded? So, like on a team that is one of the favorites. 
And obviously, you know, if it is to be a free agent, I think that the Nets are going to get him. But if it's to be some sort of sign and trade, it's not happening because he's currently on the Knicks. Nets. But yeah, I think for me, and I put out the poll, um, I expect Mo Harkless to get it unless there are somehow hidden Morris twin stands out there that I just don't know about. Uh, Twitter is a funny thing. There might be that. But, you know, I think Mo Harkless can play you the four and it's sort of the perfect complementary defensive stopper that we sort of want. Um, I've always been a, a little bit sort of irrationally high on Noah Vonley type. If I'm the sort of steal from you know different guys on, on their Twitter, you know, our guy Nolan Jensen's always been a, a Gary Harris sort of dude. I think Gary Harris is a bit more talented. That's certainly yeah. saying something. But I've always just been, I've been like, Noah Vonley always does nice things when he's out on the court. And for me, I think that he could add, uh, some certain value to a team because I think he can play some vibe as well and I think he's also really really young yeah. and whenever I do see him out there he just does the right things you know he he just doesn't f up to, for lack of a better sense well to flip it around Jack who would be you know like the ideal guys if you could pick any role players that may, are acquirable um, it's Serge Ibaka and it's Paul Millsap. Um, that, that, that's it. It's Serge Ibaka and Paul Millsap. And um, I can't necessarily think of any other names that spring to mind uh, in, in the sort of forefront of my frontal lobe, so to speak. Um, who, uh, are there other guys that I'm just not looking at, Nick? I mean, no, I think in terms of free agents, I think you nailed it. I think those would be the guys. And, I mean, we could talk about possible trades. Like, I think a guy like P.J. Tucker would intrigue me on this Nets team. Oh, yeah. Hey, I put that idea in your head, my guy. I think, yeah, you did. I mean, also, like, we used him, I think. Corey was using him a lot in team building, and it got me thinking, like, he's a championship-type guy. And I could see Houston getting desperate or looking to change things up, and it's like he's an $8 million number. There's no shortage of action going on on our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, BetOnline has ex-Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the MJ documentary on what they're calling After the Dance. Visit betonline.ag, use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet online, your online wagering solution. And he'd almost be a guy you maybe could get without, you know, giving up a ton. You might not even have to give up Jared Allen to get him. You might be able to get away with like Torian Prince and a pick or something, depending on what Houston's trying to do. Or maybe it's a three-team trade. I kind of brought this idea up to you before between something with like Houston, Orlando, and the Nets. But I think there's a lot of different avenues out there. That'd be a guy I would really like because he also gives you that small ball five option. Can defend wings too, so you can play him at the four. He can defend threes a little bit. So it's like I like the versatility, and he also doesn't need the ball. Uh, I'm super high on PJ Tucker. I was when we did the first team building exercise for for the OTG outlet. I was so stunned that I didn't win because I was just so high. I'm like PJ Tucker next to like LeBron James and and Damian Lillard. That's perfect. Um, but obviously, I digress. I'm still salty uh, to this day about that team building exercise. But yeah, I think PJ Tucker, and I think that there is a chance where you can add guys of value because of what Houston is currently going through. Um, I, I think it is, I don't know if it's Bill Simmons or someone else who sort of described it as new owner syndrome. Just want to make moves and they just want to do things for the sake of doing things to make their name known that they are an owner that they're out there that they're making moves 
Uh, and right now, Rudin is having a sensational game as he's at the line. 15 points, uh, 4 or 5. And, and obviously, those free throws uh, need a little bit of work, but he's certainly got some tired legs. So uh, I will give him a pass there. But I think that there is a chance where uh, a team could you know, pull the, the, the wool under the rug from... I don't know if that's the real saying, but again, 9.52 a.m. <laughs> here in Melbourne, guys. Um, where, uh, yeah, you know, Daryl Morey's just like, you know, I don't care. Take you whoever the hell you want. Uh, or maybe he gets fired and it's just like, well, Tillman, I'm I'm good enough to do this job. You know, I'm Donald Trump thinks I'm cool. Maybe I'll just uh, do all these deals uh, for myself. So I think that there is certainly a real chance that teams could actually steal some guys, for lack of a better term, from the Houston Rockets franchise because of what they're currently going through. And it's perfect for a team like the Nets because they are okay giving up first-round picks. It means getting a role player that can impact now because the chances are of someone you know at 20 or late in the draft doing that is unlikely. So I, I think that's a real avenue for the Nets to upgrade if they don't make the star trades. I think they might even be able to you know keep Spencer and Karras and then possibly upgrade different positions on the roster. Yeah, definitely. Um getting some like response to some of the tweets and polls putting out um uh, watching Kyrie and Morris take 38 shots combined in the fourth quarter and Durant touches the ball twice and it's a Danny Ainge laughing meme <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more Marcus is probably the more ball hoggy one but I certainly do say that um and who do we have right now um our guy Will who's joined the the rewatches quite a bit um is a big fan of Mo Harkless but uh, Nick, I was right. It is only a small sample size, but the Markeith Morris standage is real. Uh, 60% of the vote uh, so far. Mar- for Markeith Morris, interesting. I guess yep. so. I mean, he has the biggest name of all those guys. I think he's he's been kind of drastically impacted by injuries. Where Markeith actually used to be the better of the twins, and then Marcus kind of overtook him when he you know had that stint in Boston at the end of Detroit. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's. I mean, we don't need to get down. I mean, we kind of do because this is what uh, life is now um, when you're doing rewatches uh, uh, during the weekend and there's no basketball to speak about. You're speaking about the likes of uh, Markeith Morris, Noah Vonley, uh, and, and Mo Harkless. But, and your but boy Marvin it. Williams, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and Marvin Williams as well. But, you know, I digress. Uh, Nick, how's the stream working for you on Periscope right now? Um, I could check it out. Everything looks good in terms of uh, the streaming no software. Okay, cool. Just wanted to check because it's it's a little. Uh, it's probably just my internet that's just jumping around a little bit. But uh, like we sort of alluded to a little bit earlier on the game, the Nets have uh, come out of the blocks in the third quarter. I think they were down by about twelve. And you know we've seen. I think Rudolph has been a huge part of that. And um, as Jimmy Butler takes a, a pretty poor mid-range shot, and you know you give that to him every day of the week. Yeah, Rodion's also had like a really big uh, rebound at like the end of the first half, I think. This is a good game for him, and it's kind of like showcasing the skill set he has. Just that little toughness, the versatility he has defensively, and just being the annoying player on the court. Um, Matt Naku has said that it is mildly laggy, um, but he also did ask, Humor me, fellas, Al Horford and Kyrie reunion, all caps. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> I, I, I think... Uh, it's more so without Horford's contract, which is disgusting. Uh, yeah, it's not great. I, I, I mean, I've been a... Whenever Corey and I have done top 50 sort of rankings, we've been very, very high on Al Horford in, in years past. You know, we've had him in that range of being just like, you know, probably the best version of the small ball five that you can have. And 
Is what he showed this year what he's going to be long-term? I don't believe it. I think that he has had some health issues, and obviously the fit is just disgusting. Um, and But in terms of, you know, if you if you strike out, it's just like, all right, uh, why not trade Al Horford? You know, I, one, I think that there are uh, personality clashes that I think were underrated about Al Horford and Kyrie Irving. You know, there were, uh, Kyrie was just like, we need a vet guy in this locker room to sort of step, uh, step up when he was in Boston. And I'm like... Al Horford's been in the NBA for like 10, 12 years. And Al, Al Horford's more of a Tim Duncan leadership sort of guy in terms of that he just lets his actions do the talking as more understated and introverted. Whereas, you know, Kyrie is a bit more out there in that sort of sense. 100%. I agree. And it looks like we got Nolan jumping on the ground. <laughs> there we go. What's going on, boys? How are we doing, so, Nolan? Uh, we got Good. How are you guys doing? Good. I got to catch up here. So we'll give you uh, the, the Bradley Beal chat. Give us your spiel uh, on what's right. happening on next Twitter right now with the with the with the um, Bradley Beal sort of stuff. Oh man, okay, right out the gate, huh? Okay, uh, yeah, no, it's it's it, it makes all the sense in the world to want to acquire Bradley Beal. You know, probably arguably a top twenty talent in the NBA to pair alongside Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving because that just makes Sean Marks' life so much easier. I mean, we often talk about sacrificing depth. But when you have three top 20 guys, you know, historically speaking, added in those complimentary pieces, those high IQ, you know, ex-all-stars, like uh, those types of veterans are a little easier to do because, you know, obviously they want to ring chase at the tail end of their career, perhaps sign for uh, veterans minimum or whatever the case may be, and, you know, pull it off here at the twilight of their career. I, I personally, I love the move. I think you have to really overthink the situation to not want to add Bradley Beal. You can talk about, you know, defensive inadequacies. I mean, on paper, this wasn't a stout defense, but hey, there's still eighth, eighth rank, sorry, defensive rating. So for me, it makes all the sense in the world. I actually don't know how you guys feel about it. Are you guys on the same page as me or uh, polar ends of the spectrum here? Uh, pretty well, much, I said go all in. I mean, if you're going all in on Katie and Kyrie, you pretty much have to go all in on Bradley Beal. And like you said, no one. Like you could stagger their minutes. You have guys that you make things work, and we've seen this three, you know, star combo get a championship in the past. So there's a real possibility you could have them for the Nets. Yeah, it's it's something that you know will probably be rejoining. We also touched on the fact that you know about his agent coming out with comments saying that it's not going to happen. Obviously, again, it's an agent. Um, we do apologize as well, guys, for for the lag because when there's a lot of people on and there's also streaming software happening at the same time, um, you know the game obviously is. So hopefully, you guys are still enjoying us speak about the the, the nets uh, and w- and when we add a guy like Nolan, uh, uh, it certainly makes the conversation a lot better, no doubt about I that. But, um, but Nolan, we also talked about. Um, we had a comment from uh, one of our guys in the Periscope. I will find his name because I want to make sure I get it right. Um, sure. But the, it was uh, BH, Fred was saying um, Aaron Gordon, Andrew uh-huh. Holiday, or just Bradley Beal. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, Aaron Holiday and uh, sorry, no, no, Drew Gordon? Holiday, my guy. Drew oh, Holiday. Drew. Okay, Drew yeah. Holiday. Um, here's the thing about Drew Holiday. Um, he's you know, Drew kind of from and the Aaron Gordon. He, I, I don't think you heard him, Nolan. Oh, yeah. So either Bradley Beal my or accent, Drew. Man, it's my accent. I'll try to like. I can Americanize myself. Okay, we got Drew Holiday and Aaron <laughs> Gordon. Aaron yeah. Gordon. The way you guys say Aaron always cracks me up. By the way, sorry. No, and oh, Nolan's okay. obviously 
in a, in a different is in the same hemisphere but not in the same country i apologize so is this a um like one out of the three who do i want no you you're know? either getting just bradley beal or you're getting aaron gordon andrew holiday Jesus, I don't even know how you would make that work logistically. Because the thing with Drew Holiday is, I don't know if David Griffin, John Langton, and the whole Pelicans front office brass, I don't know if we have the right assets to attain a Drew Holiday. Because I'm, I'm thinking with Car- Sorry, Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. I don't know if that's exactly as complimentary as possible for New Orleans. I mean, you could go the Spencer Dinwiddie doubt, uh, route and like maybe a Jared Allen. But then, again, Jared Allen, you know, they got Derek Favors, who... I'm assuming they're going to resign because he was one of the most influential bigs to winning in the league this year, and he got Jackson Hayes. So I'm not entirely sure how we managed to pull Drew Holiday, even if they're not a, uh, with the idea of potentially resigning him. I think it'd be like four years, $142 million. So they would have him locked up until he's about 33. They might want to go young. But still, I don't know if we have the assets. But with Aaron Gordon, we definitely do. Um, Aaron Gordon, Drew Holiday, or Bradley Beal. Realistically speaking, I think you can even with you know as I'm sorry as Jack mentioned, Bradley Beal's agent saying that this is likely isn't going to happen. I'd rather go the latter instead of the former. I'd go all in for Bradley Beal. I mean, you got the summer of 2021 looming. The landscape can change on a dime. You know, the Nets they got you know two three year window to win this. Why would you not want to add in all your pieces right out the gate and then go for the complimentary guys? Once you have those three, because it just makes your life easier. I, 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 I have to go Bradley Beal, even though I love Drew Holiday. I just don't know how that trade works. And Aaron Gordon, I think us analytical guys, uh, Billy Reinhardt mentioned this in one of his tweets the other day. I think we tend to overrate him a little bit. So give me Bradley Beal. I also think, and um, no, I'm not going to say it because Nick's going to kick me off. I'm not going to say that. I'm <laughs> not going to say it. Uh, whatever you're going to say, Jack, you know, no one can take your spot. But um, <laughs> this is why you got me involved. I knew it. I knew it. No, but I also think I mentioned this too with Drew Holiday, Nolan, is that the player option, I think, in yes, has after the 21 season, like that's a little more concerning too. He's up there in age where Beal gives you a little bit of reassurance being that he's under contract and he's also younger. So he's a guy that, you know, could be on the team for quite some time. Yeah, it's and and actually, I guess it sort of leads to Matt Nakeu said that if we add Beal, I love it, but we need that physicality and extra sort of juice in the front court, um, which brings me to I guess the sort of update on that sort of weird poll that I put out, and I'll bring it to you, Nolan. Um, we were chatting Ooh. about sort of Nick brought to me is like, what's the worst version of like role players that you think the Nets could acquire or could get? And I put out, I, I put forth four different names. And sure. that poll has certainly eaten up now. It's Mo Harkless, Marvin Williams, right. Markeith Morris, and Noah Vonley. Um, who to you there intrigues you the most? And right now, Nick, where, where Mo Harkless and Markeith Morris are, are neck and neck at 35%, Marvin Williams at 25%, and uh, Noah Vonley, my guy. Come on, Noah Vonley stands. Where are they? At 5%. Oh, Noah Vonley at 5%. Um, Mo Harkless. Out of those <laughs> four, I... Yeah, no, I actually had interest in Mo Harkless before um, you even mentioned that. I think, I mean, potentially you can sign him a two-way MLE. I'm not sure where the next exception stands out off the top of my head, but Mo Harkless is a plug-and-play type player. He's just a, he's just a, an addition you'd want at the tail under the depth chart. I mean, he can crack an eight-man rotation in the playoff series, I feel like. Mo Harkless, he's the most versatile, in my humble opinion. <laughs> and I feel like you said the versatility is huge, especially on a team like this. 
you can give him different de defensive assignments, and he's not necessarily going to need touches. Just a nice fit on a championship team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm a big proponent for him. Again, started for the Clippers at the start of the season. Obviously, that wasn't the best form that they showed, but I think that he is. But uh, I'm surprised. You know, I've got guys in the mentions talking about you know the Markeith Morris and. He's in Laker land right now, and I honest and Nick uh, probably was a maybe a, a, a bit harsh on him saying that he's washed, but he certainly <laughs> he certainly out of the guys that are there, the most talented NBA player right now is Mo Harkless, and the most valuable NBA player there is Mo Harkless. I think right. again, Noah Vonley I think is quite young out of those guys, and I think can uh -huh. be something as a four five. Um, I'm again. Uh, I actually mentioned you and your your irrational love for for Gary Harrison and hey. Annette and Justin Anderson. So I was just like that. I'm going to become the Noah Vonley guy on on this Twitter now. I love um, it. Dude. But actually, I have a hot take. Now that you no. mentioned Marky Morris, I just wanted to quickly fire it off while I still had the opportunity. Um, I think Wilson Chandler can be our Marky Morris. Ooh, okay. Give me the give me the reasons Honestly, why. That's did. a good take. Um, I really liked. Wilson Chandler this year I mean you could look at the three-point efficiency it wasn't you know the greatest but having just a hard-nosed vet that has been around the NBA a bit he's not going to be pushed around you're not going to be able to get in Kevin Durant's face he was really good as a four executing the pick and roll as a primary ball handler which I think is um, notable he was also really really good and it was a really small sample size but I, I bring this up a few times in the Detroit Pistons game Guarding Andre Drummond with Nick Claxton as that 4-5 combo. They had some really weird defensive chemistry going on that's really alluring and intriguing to me. So I actually do really like Wilson Chandler on this team. I think he can play 15-20 minutes, kind of assume that Markeith Morris type role. And, I mean, we already got him. So I I, I understand like the love for Markeith Morris, but I, I don't see why Wilson Chandler can't assume that role and excel in it. Yeah, especially at the... Yeah time of both their careers i agree and i i feel like i mentioned this with chandler a little bit on the pod this year is like his floor wasn't you know that low like you kind of knew what you were getting from wilson chandler every game you know he was a veteran brought you the toughness you know has solid basketball iq so i have no issue in being on next year's team when i prefer an upgrade for sure but if he still is like your third line of rotation i don't even think that's bad to have if he has to be you know in your your 10-man rotation because you made a trade for bradley beal i don't think that's the end of the world either Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've I've just put out there. Will Wilson Chandler be in, in Brooklyn's rotation next year? What is the ideal? You know, you, I think I put out there like as like a, a sixth or seventh man, and a lot of people are like, well, and this was a while ago because I think I was a like you guys getting high on him. I know Matt Naku was on, I think replacing me on some pods uh, when I when I was traveling and such. That you know, I I was quite high on Wilson Chandler. I think the three ball you know, is a bit hit and miss. But if he's just a, if he brings it on the defensive end, like you guys sort of mentioned, then I don't think there is a reason why you need to get a, a Markeith Morris because I don't think that you know, I, I don't think Markeith Morris has had a better season than Wilson Chandler, plain and simply. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone's really dove that deep into either season, but I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, yeah, these guys are pretty similar, especially like I said, they're both on the end of their career. It's not like we're talking about prime players here, and both guys have dealt with a lot of injuries. That's the point of quarantine we're at now. We are dissecting <laughs> the seasons of Markeith Morris <laughs> and Wilson Chandler. Nolan, I was asking Jack this. Is there any, like, dark horse stars you think the Nets could acquire that, you know, maybe aren't oh, talked about but could, but could pop up? 
So I have actually had it's been one of my fantasy trade hypotheticals for quite some time. No one um, is as you guys for this pod. <laughs> oh, I'm ready to go, man. We've been talking nothing but trades the last like couple days here on Ned's Twitter. It's, it's a great time of year. Um, <laughs> I think Austin. Oh, well, I shouldn't say I think. I know this is not going to happen. Um, this is just something personally I would love to entertain. It's you know you guys know how I feel about Gary Harris. I don't think that's any secret at this point. Yeah. I've also really looked at one other Denver Nugget on that rotation. He's going to be a UFA this year. Um, I think you might be able to acquire him in a sign in trade if you really allure Denver. I mean, they got Michael Porter Jr. They might want to really push him into that um, four spot next year as a starter, give him more minutes, maybe give him some of Millsap's touches, even though Paul Millsap has really aged gracefully. Um, he's a really efficient player this year on both ends of the floor. But I wonder if there's like a possible way of maybe killing two birds with one stone for me and executing a trade for Gary Harris, who I'm not really sure how high the Nuggets are on him at this point. I mean, they know what he brings to the table defensively. He can lock up the opposition's best guard in the playoff series. We've seen him play, you know, just hellacious defense on Damian Lillard. And maybe executing a sign-in trade for Paul Millsap. And that that now enters, like, that blockbuster category where you're going to have to give up some of the Nets, you know, more significant assets. But you acquire a Gary Harris who... You know, despite three shooting, three point shooting numbers, I refuse to believe that <laughs> that is what he is offensively. And on the other end of the court, I mean, we talk about the want for defense. There isn't too many shooting guards that are better defenders in the league right now than Gary Harris. And you get Paul Millsap, that smart, savvy veteran who is really still playing incredibly efficient. So that's just one of the other uh, fantasy hypotheticals I put out on the table. I again, I don't think it's going to happen, but I would love to entertain that idea. You would love Gary Harris on the Nets? No way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Love>. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess it, it fit wise, it definitely makes sense. It would just be interesting getting to that number because obviously you'd be want Millsap would be wanting more money than you know the taxpayer MLE because the mid level exception. Exactly. Yeah, because like you know, let's assume he wants ten million. Then you got Gary Harris making nineteen. So it's like, how do you get to twenty nine? Obviously, you're hoping you can include Torian Prince in this trade as a salary filler. But like, nice. what would be the other guy you want to give up in this deal? See, the thing is, I really, really want to keep Karis LeVert until at least. Yeah, it is going to have to be Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, I don't know if he's going to be opposed to that. I mean, he's been trading himself on Twitter. You know, pretty <laughs> he, he pretty much tried to get himself moved. Like, I know. I mean, he's been like a piston. He's been a bull. Um, he's been a bite, yeah, though, obviously yeah. the the Bitcoin that was. Uh, yeah, you know, it was, it was good for it was for a good cause. It's for charity. Outside of that, it was a little you know kind of weird. But hey, hey, he, he's his own man. I can respect it. Definitely interesting. I mean, I think that's also like the avenue Jack and I've been talking about is like it's not just limited to the star players. Like there are going to be opportunities to upgrade and get, you know, better role players or better starters depending on what the Nets are willing to get up because they do have tradable contracts and they do have, you know, picks they're willing to move. Mm-hmm. But I guess I'll put to you guys, I'm going to put this on as a poll. Sorry to jump in, Nolan. Um, uh, as we get to the pointy part of this game, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. Um, which route should the Nets front office go in free agency in terms of star chasing or depth chasing? 
Ooh, like a contingency plan? Where you, what's the yeah, uh, like you, ideal you, route? You get, oh, you man. get guys, you, you get Gary Harris, yeah. you, you get Paul Millsap, or you get um, you got Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal. Yeah. I, 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 I can't go against it. I mean, the, the star power that he attracts, I mean, he makes getting those veterans that are looking at one more shot at a ring just that much easier because all of a sudden Brooklyn, you know, they're they're in the business for contending for championships. And they're, they are already at that point, don't get me wrong. Once you sign Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you kind of announce to the NBA spectrum that, hey, we're trying to host a uh, parade in, you know, late June, early July, and in the near future. But you add in another guy like Bradley Beal, he's probably consensus top 25 player in the NBA. It makes Sean Marks' job, I feel, just that much easier. Whereas you add in complimentary pieces like Gary Harris, and I can't believe I'm going to, I'm going to say this. It might not work. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and if like you all of a sudden you're stuck with 17, 18 a year. And if you add a big star and it doesn't work, you don't feel as bad because like, it's more on them than it is on you. If you add minor pieces and role players, they're like looking at the GM, like, why didn't you add the star or whatever it is? And one other thing that could benefit the Nets is, you know, no one mentioned, you know, guys ring chasing, especially with the way the salary cap and teams are going to be this summer, especially a lot of them not having a ton of money. It was brought up, I forget who reported this, but we're going to see a lot of guys sign one year deals because in 2021, there's going to be more cap space. So you could see guys willing to take a little bit of a lesser deal to sign with a team they think can win a championship. Yeah, I mean, I think that the more likely route is that the Nets do add depth. Yeah. Um, but in terms of what I want, you obviously want to get the most talented player that you can add to this team. Bradley Beal, Drew Holiday, and who and Aaron Gordon. I guess that's the sort of ranking of talents that I have them in right now. And I think most people probably would too. Um, but, you know, I think that we've sort of said this. Whatever sort of happens, I think that this probably not this maybe this season who knows what happens we'll probably have to dissect that when the the day comes a little bit closer but <clears throat> next season hypothetically we got Kyrie got KD at least at a semblance of, of physical health and we end up keeping Kyrie we end up keeping Spencer and we add Noah Vonley we add Mo Harkless <laughs> whoever it might be and we just add to the rotation and we just make some moves on the wings that's still a championship level team that still puts the Nets in the realm for a chip with whatever team, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Bucks, wh- whoever. Um, I-, I think that no matter if, um, if the Nets make no moves uh, in the offseason, I-, I could still see them in that realm. I don't. I wouldn't put them in the complete upper tier because uh, I think that their depth in their rotation right now is quite shallow. Uh, it's not at a, at a, at a level um, uh, where I think that the Clippers certainly do have, but it's still a championship-level winning team because you have two top 10, top 12 players. Yeah, and I mean, they could always upgrade in, at the deadline. You know what I mean? I feel like people forget that. Like, you go into a team, you see so many championship teams or fringe championship teams add that guy at the deadline that kind of sets them apart, like we saw with Toronto with Marcus Gasol. Like, I don't think... I don't. I feel like people are going to get super worried or be super mad if Sean Marks doesn't trade for a star in the off season, but he can always do it later in the year. Yeah, true, true. Um, I got this tweet from Jerry Sai on Twitter. Hey, at, hey it's my guy at ohc one rej. Nets fans don't want a third star because they're not ready to be the most hated team in the NBA. Too used to the underdog mentality. Uh, what a Nolan, I'll get your thoughts first because he is your guy. 
I saw that tweet, and um, there, there's some truth to it. You know, I really okay. do feel like there's some truth to it. I think a lot of you know Nets fans, and you know, justifiably so, rightfully so, they want their homegrown talent to be part of the parade. You know, once inevitably, no, not say inevitably, if if potentially the Nets do, you know, pull us off and bring their first title in franchise history, you know, ABA not included, um, playing the role at, of a heel. You know, some fans obviously don't want that. I'm I'm here to fully embrace it. You know, I, I I'm completely. Let's go full NWO with the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and whoever this third star is. I would love to be the hated team. You know, to get booze in opposing teams' arenas. That to me is just it's such a joyful thing to experience. Um, I've never got to yet, so I'm <laughs> I'm fully ready to embrace the heel role. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about it. You know, it's weird. You know, the Canadian supposed to be the nice guy, supposed to, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe be on the other side of the fence. But like, hey, you know, it's it's fun to be an asshole sometimes. So if we're gonna be that role, let's just just go fall in with it. Let's have some fun. Especially because I feel like it's already started. Like soon as Katie and Kyrie yeah. signed in Brooklyn, everyone started hating the Nets and talking more trash. And Nets are in the exactly. me- media for drama now and all these things. And you know, Kyrie and Katie are never gonna win a chip. Blah blah blah. So I'm all in it, like Nolan. I think it's already kind of started. So why not embrace it? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think to an extent it is already happening. But I think to truly be hated, you have to win. Yeah, and if the Nets were or be somehow, yeah, and to to somehow if the Nets were to steal some playoff wins, and you know it's just like oh it's unfair. Why are Durant and Irving getting a chance to play and they somehow make the finals? And we're just gonna be like oh man I hate those guys. And I think yeah embracing the villain role is great because I think sports is so consumed and and so derived from narratives. And I think the narrative of the villain. Uh, and, and trying to vanquish the villain is, is such a big one. You know, you know the the behemoth of the Bulls, the behemoth of the Celtics, the behemoth of the of the Warriors dynasty. You know, uh, we've already got a guy, and probably maybe two if you want to count Kyrie. But certainly, Kevin Durant has embraced the villain role in terms of he he just fits uh, like a, a villain perfectly in terms of he already draws the the the, the hate from from NBA Twitter and, and the NBA media alike. So I think that. As, as, as villains, I think that the Nets are primed to take that position. But I, I, I will say, before it does even think about happening, the Nets got to win. And, and we're, not, we're not villains yet because we're still the quote-unquote underdogs, quote-unquote not necessarily like the, the darlings like we were with D'Angelo Russell and Jared Dudley and the like. But right now, we're, there's almost probably an even worse sort of connotation towards the Nets because no one really cares about us that much it's just like oh Kyrie kind of does say some weird things here and there oh Karis is yep. playing a game or two here Spencer's talking about Bitcoin Joe Harrison has had a shoot freeze um, well I'm really deriving down the nets into some really small narrow-minded narratives um, I, I don't know why I'm doing that but that's what the nets are to me now we need to start winning some games to really get that villain nature to us yeah I think either that or like you get a steal in the Bradley Beal trade and you're able to keep, you know, like some of your guys and all of a sudden your team is like super star studded and people are like, oh, this team's not fair. But I agree. Usually that comes with winning or just being really dominant and also kind of allow Kyrie and Katie to be, I guess, assholes for lack of a better term. Yeah, I I guess. um, Yeah, in that sort of sense, uh, the Nets are primed to do that. Um, And it's interesting, just touching on the game here. The Nets are down by nine with five minutes to go. It's going to be—I mm. I can't remember how the comeback happens because I, I don't 
I didn't get a chance to watch a heap of the games um, because of my work schedule, and I would generally watch replays. But here, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie is really attacking, and he's making his 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 voice heard, and he's arguing as he usually does to officials. <laughs> Big surprise, Spencer arguing here, and that's where just only down five, and then he pushed it up to nine here. Jimmy Butler's having a nice fourth quarter like he usually does against the Nets. Right. That Toyin Prince's defense on him and that possession and the possession before is not great. Um, he's allowed Jimmy certain angles and lanes to get a deep and penetrate. Um, I think Prince has physicality and physical tools like we spoke about mm-hmm. on 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 the Buzz review for him, but his his IQ is just like he, he's <clears throat> just in no man's land sometimes. It's like oh, I'm just going to give this angle here. Uh, I think if you could teach the game better and think the game better, then, like I said this on his review, he would just be such a better player. Yeah. And Spencer with a deep three. Nets now only down six and giving you guys a time check real quick at the 4-10 mark of the fourth quarter. Yeah, I'm about that as well. Um, it's, I mean, Spencer Dimwitty has, in terms of clutch moments of him this season, we've already done the Lakers game. Where he steps up here compared to that Lakers game, who do you, what performance, what clutch performance do you think was better? Ask me after I watch I the rest of this. Um, <laughs> but also don't forget the Pacers game. I think we watched too. We hit the game winner there too. True, true. I mean, man, he's he's certainly stepping up for this net squad. Not, Nolan, what do you think? What, Big what are the more cares? That is, and he, um, he's more comfortable off the dribble. Sorry, Nolan, he's more comfortable off the dribble for some reason. Uh, it's just weird. I think this is Spencer Dinwiddie's greatest game ever. Ooh. I said it right there, right out wow. there. No, yeah, there's no reason. There's no reason to, uh, you know, try to, uh, I guess, undermine the performance. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go straight in. I think this was his greatest performance ever. He was in absolute control the entire game. I think he finished with 14 assists this yep. game. 26. Um, he shot the ball. Yeah, 26 to 14. He shot the ball super efficiently. I mean, this was really a must-win game for the Nets heading into this game. They were in a seven-game losing streak. You know, the sky was falling. It was. It was not a good time. To be a Nets fan, it was not. A, it was even worse time to be on Nets Twitter. And Spencer didn't. We kind of took the reins, got us back in the win column, got us back into the you know that semi seventh seed relevancy. Uh, it was it was important win, and it was it was against a team that we you know kind of fell apart against earlier in the season at home with Jimmy Butler taking over. And this game, he kind of refused to let us lose, if you want to say. And that's why I believe that. Not just this season. I mean, of all the Spencer Dinwiddie performances, this one happens to be my favorite. But I'm also kind of the the hipster NBA fan that doesn't look at the career high performances as their favorite. Like for me, Spencer uh, Karis Avert's uh, favorite performance of the year might have been the triple double against the Spurs instead of the 51 point outburst. But that's just because I'm a weirdo. So you know. <laughs> and I, I think mean, Nick, what's thing... your favorite Levert? What's your favorite Levert performance? Oh, definitely the 51 point game because it was. It was, <laughs> makes sense. I mean, it just like meant more for. I care like about Levert and reaching his ceiling, and I think that was just something like that screamed like, "Wow, maybe his ceiling's even higher than I thought." Because like 50 in a game is something that I wasn't sure he could do before that, and then also the fact is like he had good possessions against Marcus Smart. Like that's just tough to do, especially against like a solid Celtics defense. At different right. points, it was backups, but like. Every bucket mattered so much. I love the triple du- uh, double performance, but to me, it almost felt more like fun because, like, the Spurs were just getting murdered in that game. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't yeah. close. Yeah, and I mean, here the the Nets are within striking range, and the momentum is all theirs. You know, Karras and Spencer are, are both 
performing at a really high level and against a, an equally high level team. You know, Jimmy Butler is a star. Bam Adebayo is a star. And, you know, the Nets are, are really taking it to them and they're playing some really clutch level defense as well. Like that Zone possession there. Too, good. The Zone was a, a really great proponent. And I think that yep, that's... Shout out Kenny. Shout yeah. out to Kenny for that one. Uh, it didn't work all game though here. I think it was like struggling a lot of the game. And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, they decided, hey, we're going to actually communicate. And that's not going to fall at all. And, yeah, the Heat aren't a great offensive team when it comes to perimeter shooting. So I think that that's where the zone can work when you can't yeah. shoot threes. You got Butler um, and Derek Jones Jr. out there, I think, yeah. Yeah, and those guys aren't, <laughs> aren't necessarily – and that's a nice drive from Toy and Prince. That might be one of the best drives of the season from him. I don't remember seeing an, as the Nets go on an 8-0 run. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it was one of those things where Kenny Atkinson, we've kind of harped on the lack of in-game adjustments, you know, throughout his Nets tenure. And, like, that's a warranted argument. We've seen it multiple times where it's, man, you know, the Indiana Pacers absolutely, or San Antonio Spurs are absolutely torching us from mid-range. They're one of the best mid-range shooting teams in the league. Can we not allow LaMarcus Aldridge to get practice 19-foot jumpers off the pick-and-roll? Can we tell Jared Allen to stop dropping? But this was one of the situations where, you know, Kenny recognized the personnel on the floor. Like Jack mentioned, you got Derrick Jones Jr. out there. You got Jimmy Butler out there. If they're going to beat you from three, hey, it happens. But don't let them play to their strengths. So it's just a little ironic that, you know, this is something that Kenny Atkinson, um, I don't want to use the word haters, but people that weren't huge on him, let's say that, kind of pointed to a a lot. And this was one example where it's like, hey, he you know, he adjusted. He went with the 2-3 zone. And the 2-3 zone worked beautifully here. And the 2-3 zone, from like the moment against the Phoenix Suns, you guys remember that game early on the season where we got absolutely torched? Yeah, from that moment until here, man, night and day when it comes to the Nets 2-3. Yeah, and, and obviously it is night and day because the Nets were like one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA then, and now they're like eight. I don't know where they are at this point of the, the season, but where we are now. I think they're still eight. Obviously, uh, well, yeah, the communication was just top-notch and just absolutely outstanding. Uh, Spencer Dimity there. That's the... When we were watching the Lakers game where he made that move on uh, Derek Jones and he, he sort of clips him with his elbow, gets him in the chin. That's what you want to see from Spencer. Not make it like, oh, I'm going to put my elbow out into you and then shoot it. Um, just be a bit more subtle about it because you can do it. And he's he's done it before, as he's shown here. Ooh, he doesn't have a beautiful to three from Karis. Again, off the dribble. <laughs> Is I, I mean, I don't know. Nolan 42% probably, off the kid. 42%. That was what I was about to say. What, what are the numbers for him, Nolan, like off the dribble compared to off the catch? Uh, forty-two to thirty-two, which doesn't make much sense, but as it is what it is. It makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. I think like it does. It. It's like sometimes people just feel more comfortable when they like dribble the ball. Like it's just it's a weird thing. Like I've heard of like people playing basketball, and I've seen them, and it's just like the momentum kind of helps you too, where you can kind of control your body, where like you're catch and shoot. Sometimes you're standing still. Joe Harris with a tough ass rebound right there for you, Jack. That's my boy. Yeah. What are you doing, Jimmy? No. You can't be a boy show. You, you, you sit down, son. Kyrie, my guy, is healthy, was happy about it as well. Talking it up, yeah. Talk your talk, Kai. Talk your talk. <laughs> no, yeah, he needs a rhythm dribble. I'm with Nick on that. It's it's a feel thing for him. Um, I hope, you know, whenever this offseason does come into play, um, that he's working off the catch and shoot basically well, maybe for a good, a good portion of the offseason, let's say, because those opportunities are going to be for her there for him if he's still a Brooklyn net I hope he's still a Brooklyn net but he cannot be at 32% catch and shoot once you have high usage profiles like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant 
it's and yeah it's that's that's it at the end of the day you know if he's and i think that's one thing that's probably quite easy to practice catch and shoot you know you just get the assistant coach and you get him to feed you you get the the basketball machine you get it to feed you and so you perform yeah you, you practice essentially what your mechanics are the situations whether it be contested uncontested you're probably going to get a lot of uncontested threes when you have superstars with the gravity of those guys. Justin Anderson joining in with Kyrie in the celebration there. That's, I mean, that's my guy. That was the third goal. star. Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> still the pin. We let it slide. slide. The he third, was right there. He's third star in the G League. <laughs> oh, man. His, his G League numbers were really good, Nick. How dare you? <laughs> his rookie year was actually good, and then he just yeah, completely fell off. Yeah. I would thought he was going to be a good player. I actually got a question for you guys here. It, it involves uh, Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie. Spencer Dinwiddie, I'm sure you guys have seen it. He came out and said, you know, with two volume scorers like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, I want to be the one to kind of dish the ball around. And, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie has proven that he's a pretty good, you know, playmaker. And a couple no, years definitely. ago, he was second in the league in assist-to-turnover ratio, so that's never a bad thing. But who would you rather have kind of in that role if they were to start, hypothetically, or end games? Karis LeVert, who's proven that, you know, with the ball in his hands, he can average five, six assists per game, or Spencer Dinwiddie. Like, who, who would you rather have initiate the offense with five minutes left to go, if Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant were to play off ball, uh, Spencer and um, oh, that's a great play from Torian Prince there. Probably one of his best plays of the season <laughs> as well. Sorry, getting hyped, getting hyped because I, 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 I don't. I remember this game in the final closing moments. I think I got to see it, but man, um, but yeah, for me, it's Spencer. Um, what do you think, Nick? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think knowing like we kind of touched on this a touch earlier is like we have a better idea of what Spencer is and that he'll fit better next to Kyrie and KD but I think there is like some potential upside in Karis if he were to improve in areas that we think he can improve but like based off of what we know exactly in this moment I think you see Spencer more as like a true point guard where Karis still is kind of more of a shooting guard he can get those assists and have the ball in his hands and facilitate but we have a better mm-hmm. idea that Spencer can do it now yeah I'd rather have I agree with you I'd rather have Dinwiddie in that role than like a point forward Karis Avert yeah just is this more questions uh, arise in that in, in such a role beside those two? I think the thing is yeah. like I think the sorry to cut you off, Jack. I think the ceiling with Karis you could argue is higher next to Kyrie and Katie because I think there's more of a two way yeah. potential yeah. and and yeah. like he's he just can be the better player. But I think like the it's just a safer bet with Spencer because of everything we've seen over the last couple seasons, where it's like you know it'll probably work. You know, no, safe fun is the best fun. So you know, never, never, there's never a bad decision to go with the safe option. But yeah, uh, Matt Naq thinks it's Karis. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's Spencer because of basically everything you guys sort of alluded to. I think that the control and pace that Spencer plays with, um, he just, I think he has, outside of the stars, has the highest basketball IQ of any guy on our team. And I don't think that, I think that's pretty sort of like a safe hot take if you want to call it that. Yeah, I think it's a fair take. And, yeah, I mean, this is – we'll, we'll get down to the nitty-gritty of the game now. Uh, Goran Dragic inbounding the ball, Nets up by 325.9. It's obviously going to Jimmy here. Nets have gone on a 14-2 run. Uh, it's been a sensational final court for this Nets. Every single person has chipped in in, in different moments. And Jimmy gets the gets past Torian again. Again, it was a, a nice screen. Jared needs mm-hmm. to be better there, down low, uh, be a bit smarter. And this is where you're going to foul Spencer. No, nope, kick it off to Joe and foul Joe. Um, and now this is where 
we know both those free throws are going in. I don't remember if they do, but uh, I believe in. Not a great free throw shooter. Hey, hey, no, I, I don't you, want you. you, you Jack, you know I love him, <laughs> but I don't really. I'm not really huge on him being fouled in the final seconds of a game with a net set by one. If he's, we're ranking the 70, guys 75 percent. Yeah, if we're ranking the guys out there now, he's the second. Uh, maybe I don't even know. Um, see, what, what are we talking about, Nolan? What are we talking? He just hits it like nothing. He's the best free throw shooter out there, I think. Like, the first um, time I doubt him. <laughs> like Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis Avert, Torian Prince, Jared Allen. Out of those five guys, I still think it's Joe that I would probably want to have the ball in his hands. Nick, am I a bit um, hyperbolic in my Joe Harris free throw love? No, I think you might be right. I think also uh, Spencer had missed the free throw against OKC the game prior. So, so that kind of gives Joe oh, Harris a was little... that game prior. Yeah, yeah I, I remember mean, that. Karras has hit big free throws moving forward, but his overall you know, free throw percentage isn't great. And then I'm not really having much faith in Torian Prince, and no disrespect to Jared <laughs> Allen. We've seen him miss a lot of big free throws too in the fourth quarter. So I feel like Joe actually might be the safest bet with this group. As a, a little mini aside, imagine you have Katie and Kyrie out there in the closing moments of the game, and you know you can't foul either of them because both of them are like 90% free throw yeah, for their yeah. career. That's going to be awesome because as Nets fans, we're always so damn like irrationally not confident about whoever has the ball in their hands. It's just like, oh, God, Spencer. Oh, no, not Karras. But it's just like, oh, Katie and Kyrie. Those guys are just like money from the line. Money. And Katie has such a, oh, such a big catch radius where it's like so easy to get the ball in him. If he's defended, you can still throw him the ball. He's probably going to go up and get it. Yeah. And now yeah. it's been another problem for the Nets over the last couple of seasons is getting inbounds incorrectly or whatever it is and not turning over the ball at the end of the game. Having two guys like that is just going to alleviate some stress, which is much needed for yeah. Nets fans. Yeah, you know who's going to be on the inbound, Jack? Who's that? Our guy. And he's not going to make the uh, he's going to make the right play every time. He, oh, he, it, and he, like Joe Harris does an inbounder with like 10 seconds left in the game and the game tied. It's going to be so dangerous next year if he were to resign, you know, and Joe Side do the right thing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving because their, their gravities are just so unparalleled in the NBA spectrum in clunch time. So, like, you say Joe Harris inbounds to Kyrie or Kevin, they double Joe Harris as the inbounder. You mean sometimes on an ATO, you're the most dangerous player. Yeah. And Joe Harris shooting 50% from the clutch field board. in clutch times. And fifty percent from three over the last two years. So, I know. You give I him agree. open look. That's a game. It's that yep. much tougher to defend, especially because there's an opportunity for teams to be denying Katie or Kyrie the ball. Like if they're having a exactly. forty-point game or something, you're hoping that you know the guy defending the inbound is kind of leaning towards one side. You send Joe the opposite direction; he's getting an open three. I mean, like. There's a really, I think this is a fair argument, or it might even just be the pure case, is that Joe's going to benefit more than any other net next season playing with Kyrie and KD. 100%. Yeah, definitely. And, hey, he missed the the free throw there, but he doesn't need to make them now. He only makes them when they matter. We know Joe Harris steps up when it actually matters. And he's going to hit this one. It's going to be eyes closed MJ style. See what I thought. If I remember right. uh, Sorry, go ahead, Jack. No, you go, mate. Go, go. I was going to say, if I remember right, Rodion Kuruk starts this game and drops like 17 or 19 points, doesn't he? Yeah, he hits yeah, his we... first three threes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he yeah. starts off like a 9-0 run in like 
Ned's Twitter literally implodes. He like smiling. Yeah. He's like pushing his hair back. He's like feeling himself in the fine. first quarter. Yeah, we we I think we chatted like right at the top because it was like he had an insane first half and bang, there goes one of the Nets' top wins of the season. Probably one of the best team wins we had. You know, there, there were just great moments yep. in that sort of last 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 stanza. Rodion stepped up in the first half. Karras hit some big threes. Spencer hit some big threes. Tony Prince made some big plays on both ends of the floor. Joe Harris did Joe Harris things. He's just going to keep doing what Joe Harris does. And yeah, one of the best wins of the Nets' season. Yeah, one hundred percent. I watched games like this, and I, I can't believe I'm even going to mention it, but it just, I'm sorry. It, what immediately points out to me is like, man, I would have loved Kenny Atkinson to get a chance of coaching this team full strength, but, you know, the philosophy differences. Um, he obviously lost the locker room at some point this year. It was a mutual agreement to part ways, but his he he's, he's stuck with Eric Spolster this game. He had some games where he, 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 he was really well coached, and this was one of them. I just felt like yeah. at times, you know what it was with Kenny? I think that he could make adjustments or had ideas, but it almost was like he was scared to do it at certain points. And it felt that way, especially during this season. Instead of like getting crazy and wacky like we've seen in the past, like he was more leaning towards veterans or like just a yeah. consistent style of play instead of making adjustments. Like he wasn't coaching freely, if that makes sense. No, I think I think the writing was on the wall for him. I think he knew. I think part of the reason why he played the veterans as much as he did and had that eight, nine man rotation for as long as he had it was because he knew his job was probably on the line, even if he, you know, didn't mutually agree to part, or even if he didn't mutually agree to part ways, that if the Nets didn't, you know, capture that seventh seed, likely may have been shown the door regardless. Yeah. Coaching yeah. first job. But, guys, yeah. any final thoughts before we get out of here? Um, the polls. Let's just revisit those. Which route should the Nets front office go in free chase? Go for in free agency? Uh, adding depth is at seventy nine percent. Wow. I wonder um, what they consider depth though, because I feel like they're thinking like all free just anyone guys. but Bradley Beal. It's just yeah. like Sergio, get get Sergio Barker, Aaron Gordon, and Drew Holiday. Yeah. Um, but it's obviously not going to happen. Uh, Mo Harkless. Uh, Mark Keith Morris still leading the best fit on next year's Nets team with 36% of the vote. Mo Harkless with 34. Marvin it's Mark Keith, not Marcus. Like, do we have to inform them? <laughs> <laughs> it's the other twin. twin. It's the evil twin. <laughs> um, and Noel Vonley doubling his percentage, getting the 10% there. So thank you to the voters for that one. And final one, what would you rather the Nets get in the offseason we asked Matt Nolan this one at the top as well Beal or Gordon and Holiday Gordon and Holiday Drew of the Drew variety uh, 74% for them wow for Bradley Beal uh, that's a surprising one but you know the the polls will keep going guys you can still jump in at the JMNJBT at OTG Nick and, and Nolan what's your one again mate and Jensen underscore 1995 there you go make sure we give everyone a follow as always big thanks everybody for checking these out and you can find the podcast on itunes google play spotify otgbasketball.com netsrepublic.com and blue Wire. there's no shortage of action going on our exclusive partner bet online nascar is back and bet online has hundreds of other games events and sports to get in on you can still bet on simulated nfl nba and ufc events 24 7 or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, BetOnline has ex-Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the MJ documentary on what they're calling After the Dance. 
Visit betonline.ag, use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. Blue Chew has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They got the same active ingredients that Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them any time of day, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com. Get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 for shipping. Again, that's BlueChew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.